We, we have part two uh, handed out on this is the feast. So we'll see how far we get uh, introducing this. We'll try to conclude around 1130. But this is also uh, this is an alternative to the glory and excelsis as the hymn of praise from divine service one and divine service setting two in uh, in Lutheran service book. So you won't see this in TLH in the Lutheran hymnal, the red hymnal in front of you. The feast, or this is the feast, came a little bit later. <clears throat> but uh, but it, it has some, some awesome qualities about it. The antiphon refrain, this is the feast of victory for our God, is like many traditional antiphons in the church's liturgy. Now this is according to Dr. Just. Uh, Dr. Just is uh, one of the professors at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. He also wrote a commentary, Concordia Commentary, on St. Luke's Gospel. I think it's two volumes. Is that right? I think so. I think it's two volumes. But uh, not an exact biblical quotation, but rather a gathering and a restatement of the many biblical references and allusions to banquet and feasting as signs of the gladness and intimacy of God's kingdom. So even as, as we... I, I, I've noticed here that there's quite a few get-togethers, members of the congregations, in, in various you know circumstances and various contexts and the like. But generally speaking, when we gather together, there's a lot of times food, right? Good food. If you were here on Saturday, I think we had really good food. Yeah, there's a lot of food there. Um, so, did anybody bring bars? I guess not. And you might be aware of this that in the Old Testament they feasted quite often also. Yep. Right? There were a number of feasts, and I'm not speaking of religious feasts here, but those took place too. But remember the the first sign that Jesus did was changing water into wine at the wedding of Canaan. Not only was there drink, there was also food as well. And so this is the feast of victory for our God. Um, you know, imagine that you're a non-Christian, as difficult as that might be to, to uh, imagine, but you hear this is the feast of victory. And, uh, you know, so, you know, tons of food, just happy times and so on and so forth. But specifically, this has to do with the victory of our God over death in the grave through the death and resurrection of of Christ our Lord. All right, the feast draws upon the picture of the messianic banquet in Isaiah 25, which we'll look at, which celebrates the destruction of death and which proclaims, therefore, God's victory and triumph also. And there's a couple other places, too. The, the reference, actually, for divine service setting one, and I would assume it's the same in divine service setting two on the this is the feast, and the how do you say that the melodies are somewhat different um, from one to the other and we might have our, our particular preferences but essentially they say the same thing the Bible references here that I have are Revelation 5 12 to 13 and Revelation 19 we'll look at those uh, momentarily but for now open to Isaiah 25 Isaiah of course is in the Old Testament uh, the first of the major prophets Kind of a big book, too. I think it's got 66 chapters. 
So Isaiah 25, verse 20, and that's not right, verse 6. I was going to say 26, but there is no 26. Would someone read verse 6 of chapter 25 in Isaiah? On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Okay, yeah, so this is a reference that, uh, that is made concerning this is the feast. Celebrates the destruction of death, and that, that's, that's what we sing about. And, you know, there's the banquet. Another banquet that we might uh, reflect on, of course, is the wedding banquet. We had this uh, account just a few weeks ago, the wedding banquet of the man with his son, you know, holding a wedding feast and inviting the people to come, and they refused. You know, the, the, the guests, they had received the invitations, and then servants were sent out and say, hey, come, the feast is all ready. Well, I just got married, they said, or, you know, I just purchased a business, I have to take care of my farm, you know, and so, and similar to another parable that Jesus told, tells about the kingdom of heaven, some of these servants, they treated shamefully and they also killed. It's like, they're just inviting you to a wedding feast and you're going to do that? Um, so, so then the, the king, you know, is upset, and then he destroys those those um, who were originally invited. And then it says the feast is already there's no there, there's still room. And then he sends his servants out again, saying, "Go to the highways and the byways, so to speak, and gather all who who you can, both good and evil." And that's the account. Of course, we have that one individual that was there without the wedding garment, right? Um, but, but there, there was a feast, too. And in Revelation, as well, uh, there are feasts going on. Before we do that, let's look at Isaiah 55, because we're in Isaiah. So there's a reference there. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Now, Isaiah 55 might be familiar to you only because that, uh, you know, there, there's the, the words that are a little bit later. In the chapter, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, neither are your ways my ways. And then as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and that's verse 10, and it does not return there, but uh, but waters the earth, uh, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that comes goes out of my mouth. It will not return void. A lot of times we, we, we might reflect on those words, but the chapter actually begins with verse 1, of course. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. And then, uh, and then a little bit later, he says, you know, seek the Lord while he may be found. And, uh, and the like. So, you know, that, that idea of uh, drinking and eating and feasting, the Lord provides Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5. We'll be in Revelation for a little while. And I'm not sure exactly why... Let's see. Yeah, so this, this would have to be with... You know, have to do with the victory... Right. And one of the elders said to me, John, in his vision, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, of course, which references Christ, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, I just want to see 
chapter 22 and uh, verse 6. Keep your finger here in in Revelation 5 because we'll be referring to that a little bit more later on. But chapter 22, verse 6, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servant what must soon take place. 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Um, what's, what's intriguing with reference to the end of Revelation is that we have kind of a returning back to the Garden of Eden to some degree. You know, kind of paradise. In, in fact, I think uh, in, the, in the Greek Septuagint, the, the, uh, the Garden of Eden is, is called paradise. Um, and then in, in Revelation, of course, you know, we, we have the tree, the tree of life in the middle. We have rivers of living waters that flow, you know, so you kind of have that picture language uh, and that uh, illustration going on. Um, Notice also in Revelation, there is no sun because the sun of God is the light, right? So, um, you know, which is kind of, again, a reminder of, of, uh, of this, and that is, God's creation. When did God make the sun? Do you recall? Yeah. Yeah, just off the top of your head, right? Um, but no, it, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't day one. It wasn't day two. Yeah. So I mean, the fourth day because the planets were created on the third day, and that's backwards. That's the reason why. That's a, that's a very good argument between evolution and, and creationism is, you know, why did God create the plants on the third day when there's no sun? Yeah. Well, and, and I, I don't know. I, I, have, I have this question. Some of you might have it too, but how can there be light if there's no sun? I mean, just logically speaking, but we know, of course, that God is the light, right? Let there be light and there was light. Um, in Revelation, of course, there is no sun. There is no need for sun or moon uh, because Jesus Christ is the light you know, who shines. And, and, and in fact, in John's Gospel, um, John the Evangelist writes in, in chapter 1 that in him was life, and he was the life of the world, and also light, and, and so on and so forth. So we have that dynamic going on. All right, the New Testament image, this is also from Just, the New Testament image for the gladness of the kingdom is often the wedding feast. You know, joy, um, the, uh, the consummation of man and woman, the, the uniting of them together in holy matrimony. Of course, we might think also of Ephesians 5, you know, um, where, where Paul speaks of Christ in the church as illustrated by husband and wife in the relationship there. So as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, so also does the husband love his wife and give himself for her. You know, and, uh, and the like. A beautiful picture, that's Ephesians 5, 22-ish, around there. But it's sometimes it's simply a feast as in Matthew chapter 8. Let's look at that, Matthew 8.
you know, and specifically verse 11 here. And, you know, interestingly, this is the account in Matthew's Gospel of the, the, the faith of the centurion. So this centurion uh, sends to Jesus and, uh, and says, My servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And then the, the centurion says, Don't come. You know, just say the word and it will be. And, uh, and, and Jesus, Jesus says uh, in verse 19, or no, in verse 10, uh, Jesus marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. A centurion, of course, was a Roman citizen, very likely. Not, he was not a Jew. And yet he believed that the Lord could just say the word and the man would be made well. Jesus continues, I tell you, many will come from east and west, verse 11, and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here there's, there's the distinction, of course, you know, between those having faith and those not having faith, um, according to the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. All right, but you know, here we have that that feast kind of going on reclining at table. Of course, you know the 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 most uh, particular feast I guess that, you know, in the church we might uh, you know immediately think of of course is the Lord's Supper. Right? I mean that the feast um, and you know there there's this prayer that we say or there there's this prayer that is said at the conclusion in, uh, in, in some of our services, and it's, uh, you know, you'll, you'll recognize these, where these words, where the post-communion con- in the post-communion collect, it's, it said, you have given us a foretaste of the feast to come in the holy supper of your son's body and blood. And keep us firm in the true faith throughout our days of pilgrimage, uh, that on the day of his coming we may, together with all your saints, celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. And you know, some have said that we get a little taste, we get a taste of that in communion, in Holy Communion, you know, partaking of Christ's body and blood. What does that mean for the future? What does it also mean for the present in, in terms of who we are in fellowship with? With one another, yes, in the faith, but also with Christ, you know. And, you know, speaking of, I don't know, some, I haven't heard this too, too recently, but in the past, you know, you have, you know, kind of like the, you know, I want to say, is it, you know, the, the one who cries wolf, or the, the little chicken, you know, the, the end is coming, the end is coming. Chicken, Chicken, thank you, yeah. The sky is falling, yeah. I haven't heard that of late, right? Um, that the sky is falling, that the world is ending, and, and so on and so forth. What you have to do is look at the election. <laughs> but is it? Doesn't matter which side you're on, the sky is falling. Because we, we as Christians you know, have nothing but confidence, not because of the way the world goes, mm-hmm. but because of who holds us, yeah. you know, who God is, who, who Christ is, and his favor towards us. So really, whatever, whatever comes, whatever happens, we are continuing to be in God's care and in his keeping. Um, I'm reminded of what, what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, you know, do not fear those who 
are able to kill the soul or kill the body but not destroy the soul. Um, but rather destroy him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, which, and he's not talking about the devil there. He's talking about God, you know, fearing Him, and of course Luther explained that in in the in the Catechism. For the first commandment, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Having that, what else matters? I mean, eternally, right? Um, I, I've mentioned Babylon B before. I, I think they. I, I think it was today they had um, something about like you know. Oh, I, I'm going to get this wrong. I should have probably wrote it down. Um, but but it had a picture, kind of like in the clouds. You know, heaven determines that you know this doesn't affect eternity, <laughs> or something like that. In in other words, the election it's not going to affect eternity. You know, um, and and how you know. I know some people think this that it's you know this that it's going to change everything, and it may, but not not in the big sense, you know everything in the world maybe, uh, but not everything before God, uh, because that is our ground of faith, you know God is our ground of faith His word right, um, so we have reason you know we have reason to rejoice always. Have you ever wondered about that with reference to Paul? He says rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. How? Uh, because the rejoicing is more than just based on circumstance. And as they say, pomp, right? Pomp and circumstance. Uh, it's based on what God has done in Christ Jesus for us. You know, so even, even in death, the Lord says there is life. The image of the feast looks back to the Passover meal. So again, you know, thinking of the Lord's Supper... Um, considering the Lord's Supper, which is a fulfillment of the Passover, actually, when Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, that was the fulfillment of the Passover. So Passover meals, Seder meals, you know, those are all past. Um, the main thing now is the Lord's Supper. And that's where Christ, of course, gives his body and blood. The image of the feast looks back to the Passover meal, which celebrates Israel's deliverance from slavery to the Easter victory both in its past and present and future dimensions, and to the messianic banquet of the future when the kingdom comes in all its fullness. So in other words, it's, it's now, but it's also later too. Okay, so, um, you know, I mentioned in the sermon, and I don't know um, if this was brought out as clearly, um, you know, for, for some, um, but this idea that we stand before God's throne of grace now judged as innocent and not as guilty because of Christ. It's, it's not, you know, when, when Scripture speaks of judgment, um, there is a final judgment, but that's only, that's only going to be a reflection of what already is um, on account of, of faith in Jesus Christ, on account of what Christ did already on the cross. You know, so um, in, in other words... You know, in, in Revelation, there's this reference to the names being written in the book of life. As you believe, so your name is already there, written in the book of life. It's not just written there afterwards, you know, but even now. You know, and as, as we remain in the faith by God's grace, so also does the name remain there. Um, you know, so, so we speak of this kind of this now, not yet dimension as Christians. And what I mean by that 
is we are saved now. We have eternal life promised us now. It's not just a future thing. We stand in God's good stead and in his favor currently because of Jesus Christ. We have peace with God now, even though it seems anything but peace in our day. Um, but the peace which our Lord gives is different from what the world gives. Right? Okay, so still going on. Um, just trying to see where we are. Again, what is this feast of victory? It is not, as some might think, simply a reference to the Lord's Supper, but to all God's acts of table fellowship stretching back into the Old Testament. So when we sing, this is the feast of victory for our God, um, we're, we're speaking about God's redemption, um, which is often accompanied by a meal, stretching back to the Old Testament. There is a common ground, or there is common ground between these Old Testament meals, especially the Passover, Exodus 12, with Jesus' meals during his earthly ministry. Uh, also, the breaking of the bread. Remember, when Jesus broke bread in Matthew and Luke's gospel, as well as in uh, John's gospel, the account of the feeding of the 5,000, especially in Matthew and Luke's gospel, Jesus looks up into heaven and he breaks the bread, he blesses it, and then he gives it to the people. And they all eat. Recognize in Luke 24, it's there when the disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know those two, they recognize who Jesus is in the breaking of the bread. As he had done before. Uh, Jesus' Passover in the night which he was betrayed, of course, is there. The breaking of the bread and opened eyes at Emmaus. Reference that and the celebration of the Lord's Supper in the church since Pentecost. So since Pentecost... Um, and, and since Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, there is no more Passover that is celebrated. Um, and uh, as mentioned before, also with reference to the Sabbaths, those are kind of done away with too. It's not that we can't worship on Saturday, which is technically the Sabbath day, according to the Jewish calendar, um, but, uh, but no longer is it commanded to us as it was to the people in Israel. All right. And then one more, and then uh, some Bible passages. The Feast of Victory not only refers to the liturgy of the Lord's Supper, but to both word and sacrament. Because table fellowship with God in both Old and New Testaments, and in our own church today, involves three essential elements. That is, the presence of God in Jesus, in his teaching at the table, and in the breaking of the bread. Okay, so this... Uh, this is, is very uh, very much related, I think, to Acts chapter 2, where, where uh, Luke writes about how the apostles continued in the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, and prayers. Guess, guess what that is a, a, a synonym for? Worship. <laughs> the breaking of bread, the prayers, and the fellowship. Staying in the apostles' teaching. The feast always includes breaking open his word as well as the breaking of bread. And because we share this fellowship at table with him, now we have a foretaste of the feast to come later where we shall celebrate with all the faithful of the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom, which has no end. You know, so what, you know, even like on All Saints Day, we, we kind of, uh, you know, address this a little bit. And, and that is this truth that we worship with those who have worshiped before us too, having faith in Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we, we kind of might get the impression that there's the church on earth 
and the church in heaven, and somehow they're different, or they're not the same. Um, but we speak of, remember, what do we confess in the Apostles' Creed? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, one, the communion of saints, right? Um, so we, were, we, with, we, we who are living now having faith in Jesus Christ are as one with those who have died in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it, it's it's uh, you know it's it's not a matter of uh, being in a members of a different church, but whether before death or after death. In other words, you know, we are members of the same body, which is of Christ. Um, and that's why in our liturgies, um, I, I think, um, you know, uh, oftentimes right before or during the preface, I think it's the proper preface. Uh, just before we sing the Sanctus, the pastor says, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify. You know, in other words, we're singing with the saints before us. Yes. And all the angels, the glories of God. You know, so sometimes we, we kind of forget that. I, who, I was speaking with someone uh, the other day. You know, uh, you know, we talk about you know, church size and congregation size and, and so on and so forth. Um, what does it say if, if you know, as, as the Lord reveals to us that we are one church with those who have died in the faith before us? Can the church ever die? Even though it might look like it's not alive or not that much living as we determine it, who determines life? Who gives life? God does, not us, right? Um, so, you know, I... And, and, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll kind of j- joke, um, of course it's true, you know, where two or three are gathered together in my name. But notice also in the Lord's Prayer, how do we begin that prayer? Yeah, who are we praying with, right? You know, um, as, as someone mentioned uh, about, um, I guess, Texas being the only state, right? Um, or Dallas being the only city, you know, kind of thing. You know, sometimes we can get very, you know, I, I, I heard this word just recently, but we can become very myopic. We only see, you know, what's in front of us. Um, but, but speaking of the church, speaking of Christ in the, in the scriptures, it's much larger than we think. So, uh, you know, we, we take encouragement from that. Okay. So uh, I got to have a, a few Bible passages here that we could look at. Um, and if you're in Revelation 5, which you may or may not be still, because uh, we kind of jumped around. But Revelation 5, we looked at verse 6, but verse 9, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain, by, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of, and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Verses 12 to 13 then, um, and, and these are the passages... Verses 12 and 13 of Revelation 5, this is one of the passages noted in uh, this is the feast in Divine Service Setting 1 and very likely Divine Service Setting 2. Verse 12, uh, let's see if I can, I see 13 and I see 11. Oh yeah, 12. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. We actually sing that in the this is the feast to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I almost want to say are his, because that's what we sing, right? 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. I want to I read uh, the, the, this is the feast and I'm using divine service setting two. Divine service setting one has five verses, if you recall, and the, the refrain Whereas in divine service setting two, it's pretty much straight through. But they, they speak similarly. This is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia. Worthy is Christ, the Lamb who was slain. Tell me if that sounds familiar. Whose blood set us free to be people of God. Power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing and glory are his. This is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia. Sing with all the people of God and join in the hymn of all creation. Blessing and honor and glory and might be to God and the Lamb forever. This is the feast of victory for our God, for the Lamb who has who was slain has begun his reign. Um, so here we, we confess most clearly that. And then uh, if I could, um, just have you turn to Revelation chapter 19. And that's the other uh, reference in This is the Feast, Lutheran service book. Revelation 19, and then verses 5 through 9. From the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. There's reason for our liturgies, guys. Um, and, and they're focused on, on the Word and specifically focused on Christ and what He has done for us uh, on the cross by means of His death and resurrection and He continues to reign uh, even in the midst of an uncertain election. God is our confidence and our hope. 